Well, I grew up in a different era. It was a different time when I grew up, and my parents never heard the debate about spanking. Uh, it was just I did something wrong in their minds, and I got spanked. Uh, one day, my mom was having a bad day, and I know that because I was about to get spanked, and I can't think of any reason I would deserve to be spanked. Uh, I just simply doesn't. As I, as I, seriously, as I sit here and catalog my life, nope, not coming up with anything. Uh, so mom was having a bad day, and I was in the hallway merely pointing this out, just a little running commentary for her, helping her out, because, uh, you know, that's, that's why the Lord made me. And I was just giving her some helpful hints, and apparently she wasn't ready for some constructive criticism. And she said, that's enough. And, uh, you know, maybe a couple more statements were, were uttered. And she said, that's it, you're getting spanked. Now, I used to get spanked with a wooden spoon. So she comes down from the kitchen, I'm in the hallway, she said, stand right here, and I'm going to spank you with this wooden spoon. But my mama didn't raise no dummy. Like, she's going to hit me with a wooden spoon. As she pulls back, it just dawns on me, just move. And so as she pulls back, I just hop out of the way, and as she swings the wooden spoon, it hits the door. The wooden spoon breaks. I fall on the floor laughing with tears coming out of my face. She didn't see the humor in it, but she wasn't really sure I don't, what to do because now the house is out of wooden spoons, and we're going to have to change what we're having for dinner all because her aim was off and she didn't hit me. And then she uttered the phrase, just wait until your father gets home. See, apparently mom could handle the misdemeanors in the house, but if it arose to like felony level, that was when dad had to step in and dad had to take care of it at that point. And I just remember that mom said, wait until your father gets home. Well, that was the end of me getting spanked. I never got spanked again after that. I got grounded, and they'd take things away for a lot longer, and then I longed for the days of spanking uh, when, you know, it'd be over in three minutes, and I'd act like it really hurt when my mom spanked me. Like, oh, no, that hurt so much, and it didn't hurt at all. And then my dad spanked me, and it'd be like done in two minutes. And then when you're grounded, it's like a week. I'm like, what is this? This is prison. So I, I longed for those days. But I just remember being a kid, there was that phrase that we would hear sometimes at my house, sometimes when I was at a friend's house. It was that phrase of, wait until your dad gets home. And that's when you knew you're really in trouble. You're really in trouble when you hear the phrase, wait until your dad gets home. Now, if you're just joining us this morning, welcome to Lakeside. My name is Brian. I'm part of the team. Thanks so much for joining us, whether it's here in person or whether you're streaming online for the past few weeks, we've been looking at the beginning. We've gone back and we've started looking at, at the beginning of humanity. We've looked at the beginning of existence. We've looked at God creating everything as we've been walking through the very first book in the Bible, a book called Genesis. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd encourage you to download the Bible app. It's a free resource. And once you've downloaded and installed the Bible app on your device, you can, you can access the events function within the Bible app. You can either do that by enabling your locations, and then if you're here in person, Lakeside Community Church will pop right up. And if you're not, if you're watching and streaming from home, you can type in zip code 54201. There, Lakeside Community Church will pop up, and you can follow along with us. If you have a traditional Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis, again, is the very first book in the Bible, so all the way uh, at the, and to the left, when you open up the Bible, it's right there. We're in the third chapter as we look at Genesis 3, starting in verse uh, 14 here in just a minute. But before we get there, 
Last week, we saw that Adam and Eve were in the garden. They had an encounter with the serpent. They took the, the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil that God told them not to take of. And today, we're going to see all of the consequences, the specific consequences that happen as a result of that. But if you're like me, you don't love this story. And if you're like me, you're thinking somewhere in the back of your head, all this for fruit? Like, really? And the way I know that, that we struggle with this idea is if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket for going 50 and a 45, you're like, really? Don't you have anything better to do? Like, just take a nap and finish the donut. Come on, 50 and a 45? We struggle with that. I mean, technically, it's, it's illegal, but come on, 50 in a 45? If somebody goes 50 in a school zone, we all say, that's criminal. We understand that. We understand there should be a severe response and a severe reaction for that. When there are kids coming out of school, somebody's going 50 miles an hour, we say, that's criminal. But we look at this and we're like, God, all this for, for a piece of fruit? All this for just taken from a plant that was available? And some of you who are advocating for marijuana, one of your arguments is, well, why would God make a plant that I can't have? I mean, just go to Genesis 3. So really, come up with a better argument than that. I don't really care where you land on that. I'm just saying you probably need to find a better argument than that because really we're here in the third chapter of the Bible and all the problems are because people took from a plant God told them not to take from that God created. So do with that what you will. Genesis 3.14 is where we pick up the story after Adam and Eve have had an encounter with the serpent. They've taken the fruit. Eve ate the fruit. She tossed it to Adam. Adam ate the fruit. God shows up. Adam takes Eve, throws her under the bus, says it's her fault. Eve says, hey, it's the serpent's fault. And now we hear God's response in Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now we see the consequences. We see the consequences. And first, to the serpent, to the animal that, that Satan used, God's curse is this, that the serpent must now crawl. Now, we don't know if it walked before. We don't know if it bounced on its tail. We don't really know how it moved before this. But what we know is before all of this, the serpent moved in an upright manner, which is really weird to think about, and, and serpents are disgusting anyway. So, you know, frankly, I'm kind of glad about this element of the curse. But now they, they crawl on the ground. They crawl. I mean, it's never a good idea to see a snake. It, it, just know, I know some of you collect them and you have them in your homes and you're like, this is fantastic. It's really an error of judgment, whatever. Uh, but it's never a good idea to see a snake. But I would argue if you're going to see a snake, it's better to see a snake that's crawling towards you than one that's bouncing towards you or running towards you. So while we don't understand how everything worked before the curse, I think we can all kind of like this aspect of the curse that, that servants now have to crawl. But you might be thinking to yourself, well, why punish the animal? Why punish the animal, God? Why do that? We have to remember what we saw in Genesis chapter 2. What was the point of the animals that God made? 
What was the point of the animals that God made? We saw that God created all the animals in Genesis chapter 1, but what is the point of the animals? And Genesis chapter 2 told us that the point of the animals are to enhance humanity. The reason there's a curse against the serpent is because the serpent allowed Satan to come and to utilize the serpent for purposes that, not, that did not enhance humanity, but actually brought about humanity into all the effects of the curse that we're going to see. And so God punishes the animal as well. And then we get to Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, God says, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And we move here from verse 14 where God was cursing the animal to we move to verse 15 where God is getting to Satan who was using the animal. And this curse goes directly to Satan. And what he tells Satan is, there is now a war. There is a war between your offspring and between the offspring of the woman. There is a battle and there is a war. There is enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Satan's offspring are those that do not follow God, those who are unrighteous, those who make the choice of rebellion. That is Satan's offspring. Her offspring, the woman's offspring, Eve's offspring are those that follow God. And we'll flesh that point out as we move along. But God says there's going to be enmity. There's going to be war. There's going to be tension. And if you've ever wondered, why is it so hard to follow God? Why is it so hard to live a life that honors Jesus? Why is it so hard for me just to live my life in the way that God wants me to live my life? This is the reason why. You're a participant in a war whether you recognize that or not. And oftentimes the battles that we face are in the unseen realm. Oftentimes the battles that we're engaged in, we don't see because they aren't right in front of us and we aren't physically engaged in punching somebody or shooting bullets or anything along those lines, what we would traditionally think of in terms of battle. But oftentimes the battle that happens is in the unseen spiritual realm. And so if you've ever wondered, why is it so difficult? Why is it so hard? This is the reason. This is the reason that it's so difficult for you. This is the reason that it's so hard. That there is enmity between Satan's offspring, the, unre the unrighteous, and between Eve's offspring, the righteous. And the climax of this battle, God tells Satan, you will be dealt a death blow. You will be dealt a death blow. That your head, your head is going to be taken out. But in the process... The enemy is going to hurt the heel of the one who destroys him. Remember way back when, in week one when we started this, we saw that before God laid the foundations of the world, before God laid the foundations of the world, he'd already put the plan of redemption in place. Before God ever created us, he knew that we would be people of rebellion. Before, we made, before, before God made any humans, before humanity existed, before God spoke anything into existence, God knew the course of all of our lives. And he knew the fact that all of us would choose rebellion. All of us would choose sin. God knew that, and yet in spite of that, he still created us, and he still loves us. And he formulated the plan that he himself would come 
And he would die on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he would raise again. And what God has just said here in this curse to Satan is that story. It's the hope of what Jesus would do. He's telling us all the way here in Genesis 3.15 what is going to happen so that we could have a restored relationship with our Creator in spite of the fact that we've rebelled against Him. This is the gospel right here. But as awesome as that is, and it, it fills us with joy and confidence and hope and certainty, it doesn't fix all of the problems. Ultimately, it fixes every problem. But in our day-to-day -day life, it doesn't fix every problem. And if you've ever wrestled with that and you've ever wondered, God, why, why is that? Well, we've seen that there's going to be enmity between the unrighteous and the righteous, but there are other reasons as well. And we move on. To the woman, Genesis 3.16 says, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So God just tells Eve, here's what's going on. Here's what's going to happen as a result of your rebellion. First, that there will be multiplied pain in childbearing. This isn't just the physical pain that's associated with bringing a child into the world, which I'm not going to pretend to understand. I've heard it described. I've, I've, I've seen it. When we had our second, the nurses said, hey, we need your help. I said, no, you don't. They said, no, really, you need, you need to hold your wife's leg. I said, no, really, I'm paying thousands of dollars to have this baby delivered in a hospital. You need to go find another nurse. They're like, sir, you just need to hold right here. I said, you just need to go find another nurse because if I hold right there, I'm out, and I'm not going to get to see my, the birth of my child, so it's not happening. And they had to bring in another nurse. Like, I, that's just not my thing, okay? It's not. When, when Ethan was being born, I almost passed out. While, while the doctor is coaching Brooklyn through her contractions, she looks up at me and says, get a chair behind him right now. Life is beautiful. Process is like a crime scene, all right? That's all I'm saying. And why is that? Why is that? Because of sin. Because of sin. But not only the physical aspects of bringing a child into this world, but the emotional ones as well. For all of you who desperately long to have a child and can't. For all of you who this week, this past week, had a reminder of the life that was lost, that you never got to hold, never got to sing to. That pain is real. And this is the reason that what was once easy and beautiful and perfect is now no longer easy, beautiful, and perfect. And there's pain 
real pain, physically and emotionally, that we carry to this day. But not only in terms of with children, but now in terms of the marriage relationship that we saw. At the end of chapter 2, what we saw was Adam and Eve were naked without shame. They were authentic. They were, they were fully, they had full intimacy between them. There were no secrets. There was nothing holding them back. And now, now we're told very clearly there's going to be strife in marriage. What was once easy and beautiful and cohesive and natural is now rife with strife. And jockeying for control and positioning and all of those things that tear so many marriages apart. All because of sin. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. God says, because you listened to the voice of your wife, Let's just stop right there. Let's just stop right there. Hey, let's make sure in our marriages that we're building one another up and we're pushing each other closer to God, not pulling each other farther away. Let's make sure in our marriages that we're championing each other, but we're championing each other for righteousness. We're championing each other for what, what's good and what God approves of. That when we think of our spouse, like that, that's the person, that's the man, or that's the woman who's loved me and encouraged me and challenged me and helped me. That They've been a picture of God to me. They've served me. They've sacrificed for me. And make no mistake, this is not easy. We just saw that there's going to be strife and there's going to be a, a jockeying for control and position and you want your opinion and you want your opinion and there's going to be that constant war and that constant tug. But let's make sure we do everything we can to rise above that and we help each other. Hey, if you're single, I just want to remind you, it's so much better to be single wishing you were married than married wishing you were single. And you may not like it, the stage that you're in now, and there might be aspects that you really wish would, would change. But I just want to encourage you, be incredibly picky. Be incredibly choosy about who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. And make sure that as you're processing through whether or not this person that you're interested in could be potentially your spouse for the rest of your life, Make sure there's someone who's going to do just that. Who's going to support you and bring you closer to God, not pull you further away from Him. Who's going to serve you 
who's going to sacrifice for you? Because even the best person, even the best person who loves Jesus is still selfish. Even the best person who loves Jesus still has baggage. And if you are willing to sacrifice and you're willing just to just bring anybody who comes along and say, hey, yeah, you're attractive, so let's do this. <laughs> you're signing up for a rough life. Hey, Adam, because you listened to your wife, because you ate the fruit that I told you specifically not to eat, the curse that you're going to experience is across the whole earth. The ground is now cursed. Thorns and thistles are the reality. Pain. Pain is the result and not only is pain everywhere, not only is life now more difficult than it was ever intended originally to be, but now life is hard in every aspect. There is pain, and life is difficult, and life is hard. Because what you once had, just everywhere, abundantly available to you in terms of fruit, that I told you, you could have fruit from any tree except for one. Now, if you're going to want fruit, you're going to work for it. And you're going to have to cultivate the land, and you're going to have to work the land. And you're going to run into opposition constantly. And it's only by the sweat of your face that you will now eat. Life is now hard. Pain is now everywhere. And then verse 19 goes on. until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So not only is there pain, not only is there just hardship everywhere you look, not only are now the personal relationships strained and everything's more difficult, but you're going to die. You're going to die. My wife's at home recovering from a, a surgery, and she was watching last week, and, and after I got home, uh, she just started talking to me about the service, and she's like, oh, where was the hope today? <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell her, just wait till we get into next week. <laughs> But maybe you were wondering the same thing. Where's the hope? And it's a piece of fruit. And now human relationships are strained. There's pain with, with childbirth. There's hardship everywhere you look. There's pain. Oh, and at the end, you get to die. And yet when we look at our society around us, 
breaks my heart. Because no matter what we try to do with, with human innovation, no matter what we try to do in terms of bettering the world, an existence without Jesus arrives at a place of hopelessness. Where you can try all your best to find beauty in everything. But what do we know about this world that we live in? It's full of pain. It's full of hardship. And it's full of death. And yet, here comes hope. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. You might be scratching your head and be like, okay, Adam named his wife. heels of God telling Adam, everything's hard. You're going to have to work hard for everything. And you're going to die. And your body's going to return to dust. Adam calls his wife mother of life. That in the moment where it seems like things could not get any worse or any darker, Adam recognized the promise that God delivered when he told the enemy, you're going to be defeated. You're going to be destroyed. That there was recognition somehow, in some way, that Adam understood God's plan was bigger than just him and Eve dying, going back to dust, and all this being for naught. But the plan of God is life. He's just been told about death. And he names his wife Mother of Life. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So now, God has told Adam and Eve about all the hardship that they're going to experience. Now, God has told Adam and Eve, you're going to die. Which, I mean, really never great news to, to be given especially if it's coming from a doctor, maybe even, not even, maybe, even worse, when it's coming from God. Yeah, you're like, well, not getting out of that one. This really is it. I'm out. And yet on the heels of that, he calls his wife mother of life. And then God goes, and for the first time, we see death. The first time the world had experienced death of any kind is because God kills something. God butchers animals. 
And why? To provide the necessary covering for Adam and Eve. They had fig leaves on. And God's like, you don't even know what you're about to experience. You don't even know the changes that this world's about to go through. You're going to need more than leaves. And so he goes and he butchers animals to give Adam and Eve the covering that they would need. Do you see the picture? That thousands of years later, this same God would walk this earth in full deity, in full humanity. And Jesus... And he would go to the cross because the cost of our sin, the cost of our rebellion, the cost of our mistakes is death. It's a physical death and it's a spiritual death. The spiritual death isolates us and it separates us from God. Jesus paid that price for us. Providing us the covering we need that covers our sin and covers our rebellion and covers our mistakes. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And now there's a problem. If Adam and Eve go out, they go up to the tree, which the tree is still there, the tree of life, and they take the fruit from the tree of life and they eat that fruit and they live forever. And what's the problem? Sin has alienated them from God. Sin has broken the relationship. Because God is holy and He is perfect. And God's standard is not do more good than bad, be better than this many people and you're good. No, God's standard is perfection. It's a pass-fail scale and we all fail. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God lovingly restricts Adam and Eve from the tree of life. And he puts an angel, he puts a, a group of angels around the tree of life with swords that are flaming that are guarding the tree. And again, we just scratch our heads. We ask ourselves, why such drastic consequences for a piece of fruit? How can a loving God see that there are children who never get to enter this world for a piece of fruit? How can a loving God see so many marriages crumble over a piece of 
fruit. How can a loving God allow murder and rape and kidnapping and all the horrendous things that we see in our world on a day-to-day basis? How can a loving God allow that to happen? For a piece of fruit. answer is that pain is actually a good thing. Because pain forces us to acknowledge that things aren't as they should be. Pain reminds us This isn't normal. This isn't natural. And everything isn't okay. And in our society, when we have to confront pain, we don't like to deal with it because it isn't fun. And so we try to numb it. And if we're not careful, we can numb chemically and through other means all the symptoms of the problem. And because we now have a better feeling, a feeling of euphoria, we move forward without ever addressing the root cause of the pain. Pain serves a purpose. And that purpose is to remind us that this isn't God's design. This isn't what God wants. This wasn't God's original plan. But God loved us enough to give us a choice. And we can be mad at Adam and Eve all we want to be. But we'd have made the same exact choice. Because we all have. And we all do. But the hope of the curse, the hope that we see here, that it doesn't win. That God is bigger. And He has a plan. And His plan was for Himself to come and rescue us and redeem us. Reminding us Constantly, that there is a better way. And there is hope. So I want to encourage you if you're in pain, if life is hard, the first step is to remember that we live in a fallen world. And sometimes life is just difficult. 
And that doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It just means that life is hard and this world isn't as it should be. But sometimes we experience pain because we've made some poor choices. Sometimes we experience pain because we've just been dumb. I really want to encourage you, if you are in the midst of pain right now in this season of your life, honestly assess the cause. If it's impacting your day-to-day life, I'm not saying you shouldn't deal with some of the symptoms. In fact, I'd encourage you, deal with the symptoms. But don't just deal with the symptoms and ignore the root cause of why they're there. Some of it may be just having to live in the tension of a fallen world. But some of it may be that there are things in your life that you need to address and that you need to deal with through counseling, through other life choices, through cutting toxic people out of your life. As you deal and as you wrestle with pain, and we all do, use that pain as a gateway to examine your life And remember that this world hurts. But it hurts because it isn't as it should be. And through the hope of Jesus, one day we will be with God in a world that no longer hurts. In a world that functions and operates as it should. And that's the hope of the gospel that we see even in the midst of God delivering the curse. God, I pray that we would be people who understand that we live in a fallen world. I pray that we would be people who understand that there are times we're going to hurt. Lord, in those times, we would assess our lives. We would focus on you. And Lord, when there are things that you reveal to us that need to change, that we would have the power and the strength to change them. I pray, God, that even in the midst of our hardship, even in the midst of our heartache, we would be reminded of the hope that we have because of Jesus. I pray, God, that our marriages would be tools that bring us closer to you. We love and serve and encourage and sacrifice for one another. I pray for the people who aren't married. For those that want to be God, that they would just be incredibly careful with who they choose. those that don't want to be, that you would just continue to bring them joy and fulfillment. Lord, help us remember that this world is not ultimately our home. We are thankful for that. So let us live each day with
with a greater hunger and a greater desire for eternity. And we will be home once and for all with you, our Creator. In your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.